Happy Father's Day to all the amazing dads out there from the Dad Joke Champion. Come on, somebody. Woo! Pow! Oh, yeah, man, that was fun. Hey, I just want to take a moment to give a shout-out to my dad, Ed Danik. I love you, Dad. I know you're watching somewhere in Florida. Hey, my father-in-law, Ben, is here as well, and I just want to give you a shout-out. And I also just want to say thank you to, there's some amazing men in my life. I honestly, when I think back on my life, uh, there's been so many amazing spiritual fathers who have invested in me, sowed into my life, prayed for me, that I would not be here today if it wasn't for those amazing men in my life. And so I just thank God. And, and can we give it up for the most amazing father ever, Father God? I'm just so thankful that not only do we get to celebrate Father's Day, but we get to say thank you to the greatest daddy in the world that takes care of his kids. And I just was uh, on my way to church this morning, and I was listening to the goodness of God. And I was just singing that song, God, I'm just so grateful that you've been so faithful to me. And I've just been able to live in this place of the goodness of the God. And it doesn't mean my life has been, you know, perfect and circumstances are amazing and everything's just peaches and cream. But what it does mean is that through all of it, God is faithful. He's a faithful father. And for that, I'm just so grateful. So, hey, so being that I am the dad joke champion, would you like to hear a dad joke on this Father's Day? I'll give you two of them. Who is the smallest man in the Bible? Well, of course, it's Nehemiah. Oh. I need a drummer, I think, in the back to give me a little brunts. Thank you, David. Thank you. God bless you for that. Gave me a sympathy clap. I appreciate it. Um, okay, how about this one for you? I know you guys are going to like this one. Two guys walked into a bar. The third one ducked. Brunts. Uh, let it sink in. Wait for it. Wait for it. <laughs> you got it. Oh, come on. Come on. That was funny, and you know it. You'll, you'll get it later. It's okay. Hey, I won. That's all that matters. But hey, seriously, though, being a dad is no joke, right? Come on. How many fathers do we have in the house? I'll tell you, it, it was a dream from the, the moment that God got a hold of my heart, got a hold of my life. Um, God put this dream into me to be a dad. And uh, I have five amazing kids with this beautiful, amazing woman by my side that I get to do life with and, and uh, that I get to call my kids and they get to call me dad. And that's the greatest privilege, honor, and blessing that there could ever be. But it doesn't come without its own set of challenges. And I believe more than ever that f uh, there is an attack on fathers. And today we're going to look at the last passage of Scripture that we saved for the very last day on this Father's Day, for this to end this sculpted message series where Paul is going to encourage us that we are in an invisible war, that we have these enemies that are not seen, that every day are waging war against us. And I believe more than ever that the enemy is coming against men. He's coming against fathers because as we're going to read, he's got a strategy. He's got schemes, and he understands this one principle that if he can take out the men he can take out the marriage and he could take out the woman and if he could take out the woman in the marriage he could take out the children and if he could take out the family he can take out a society and so I believe that more than ever we have to be armed and ready and prepared putting on the full armor of God and going to war going to battle to 
get the fullness of the calling of God on our life. Amen? So we're going to take a look. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. And we're going to read, Paul is going to encourage us. Now as we are coming to a close and he is wrapping up his letter to the church in Ephesus and his encouragement to us as we have been in this message series called Sculpted. How we are God's masterpiece, but we're not there yet, are we? We are a masterpiece in the making. We're a masterpiece in the process. And today we're going to read how Paul is going to remind us that even though we know we are masterpiece and we know God is sovereign, we learned that in chapter 1, that God is sovereign, he's in control, and he's given us everything that we need as sons and daughters to become this masterpiece that he planned for us long ago. That means you're not here by accident, that you're here for a reason, that God has a plan and purpose, that he uses everything in our life to shape us, to make us, and to mold us into the people that he's created us to be so that we can do the good work that he planned for us long ago. And then he reminded us that we need to start walking in those and how that practically, if we live a life of submission to God, which the message I brought you last week, that we're submitted, that this divine order that God created perfectly flows in harmony, and that we can walk this out. But now Paul, as he wraps up the letter, is going to remind us this morning that it isn't going to come without a fight. That you're not going to get there without a fight. It's going to cost you something. You're going to have to battle for it. You're going to have to not only stand your ground, but you're going to have to take some ground. So Paul says this, uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, starting in verse 10. Finally, he's saying finally, after all these things, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle, and the struggle is real, for our struggle is not flesh and blood. It's not against your spouse. It's not against your kids. It's not against your coworker. It's not even against culture. And Paul is reminding us that we're fighting an invisible war against invisible enemies. And he says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but rather against the rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, now Paul doesn't say if the day of evil comes. He says when the day of evil comes. Anybody experience that day? <laughs> Am I talking to anybody that's experienced one of those days? Those days come, and they come more frequently than we like. And so Paul is trying to prepare us. When it comes, when that day comes, that you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith which, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And pray in the Spirit 
on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me, that when I speak, words may be given to me so that I may fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might declare it fearlessly. I love that Paul says that twice. Fearlessly as I should. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for your word, your word that is sharper than any two-edged sword, your word that is alive, it is active in our life, that means right now, that word that we just read is working on us. Father, we just submit ourselves to you this morning. I pray that you would open our hearts to receive everything, the fullness. God, we want it all. Just like we sang this morning, you can have it all, God. God, I pray that you would give us everything that you have for us today. Change us, challenge us, convict us, make us more into your son, Jesus. And God, now I lift up this great nation, the United States of America, to you. God, I thank you for the blessing of living in this great nation. God, I believe that you still have a plan and purpose for this nation. Father, we repent on behalf of this nation that we've been a nation that has turned away from you. And we ask that you forgive us and heal our land. God, return us to one nation under God, under your authority, under your rule, under your reign, under your kingdom. God, would you bring revival back to this nation once again? God, let it start here. Let it start now. Let it start with us, God. And let it spread out like wildfire in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, amen, amen, amen. amen. The title of my message this morning is A Stick and a Stone. What I'm going to do is I'm going to try to attempt to take what we just read in Ephesians 6 and tie it in to probably one of the most epic battles in not only the history of the Bible, but epic battles in the history of the world. Most of you know it. You, you were taught it in Sunday school. In fact, coaches even use it as motivation today. And I'm talking about the battle between David and Goliath, the battle for good, for evil, the battle between two nations. And what I see and what I read when I read about Paul admonishing us that we have this armor to protect us, it's interesting to me that, that five out of the six weapons or items of protection or armor, if you will, are for protection. They're for protecting something. But there's also probably one of the most important pieces, the sword of the Spirit, that is an offensive weapon that is used to not just stand your ground, but actually take ground. I believe we're living in a day and age where it's not good enough anymore just to stand ground. That if we as the church and if we as men of God don't take our rightful place and not only stand up for what we believe, but actually take the ground that God is calling us to take and advance the kingdom of God, we are going to lose this fight. And there is a fight. There is a battle. There is a war that is raging. Whether you want to admit it, whether you want to recognize it or not, you look at our country today, and I can tell you that there is a fight for the heart of men. There is a fight for the heart of our country. There is a fight for the very Spirit of God, that if we don't just not only take our stance and stand our ground, but if we don't advance. So when, I, when I read this, I see two things at work. Paul is reminding us 
that we have something to protect. All those pieces of armor, they're for our protection. But they're not just for our protection. The piece that I think gets overlooked the most and what I really want to encourage us with this morning, and this morning, hey, I know it's Father's Day, and I'm going to speak to some of our fathers, and I'm going to speak to some men, I'm going to speak to some old men, I'm going to speak to some young men, uh, because I believe in the Bible, and I believe that there's something about young men dreaming dreams, old men seeing visions, and that when the generations get linked together and, and men start fathering spiritually younger men, and young men start looking to spiritual fathers. There's something that happens spiritually that, that you grow strong in the Lord and God can use, use you. And I don't care how old you are, whether you're old or whether you're young. One of the greatest weapons that the enemy will use to try to take you out is to try to tell you either you're finished, your time is over, it's time to retire, just time to sit on the porch with grandma, sip on some lemonade, right? No, 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 no. Or you're too young and you can't make a difference. And we're going to see today how not King David, but a young boy about 14 years old took down one of the scariest, biggest threats and giants, enemies that faced the nation of Israel and what gave him a springboard to become, step into the purpose and calling in the man of God that he became. But I'm telling you, it all starts in this one place, taking a stand. So I want us to do something together to start off this message. I want you to say this with me, all right? Today, we take a stand and get in the fight with holy confidence and in the strength of the Lord. I'm going to say that again, repeat it back. Today, we take a stand and get in the fight with holy confidence and in the strength of the Lord. All right, now this time, I want you to say it like you're a warrior. I want you to say it like you mean it. Are you ready? Today, that's so much better. We take a stand and get in the fight with holy confidence and in the strength of the Lord. Come on, I like that. You got some fight in you this morning? Today, I know I'm going to talk to some fellas, but hey, I just want to say, and I want to give a shout out to our warrior women. And even though this message is geared towards fathers and men, I'm not leaving you out because I understand some of the greatest warriors that I've ever met in my life are women. Some of the strongest people that I've ever met in my life are women. There's some of you women that you're not only mom, but you're dad. You're having to play both roles. Some of you, you're, you're single, and you're trying to be wife and husband. And let me tell you, I just, I just give you so much credit today because there is so much that is coming against you. So I believe even for you today, there's something the Lord wants to impart to you, to strengthen you, to encourage you. But I'm going to, if you can, just give me permission. Because I believe personally, and I know this personally, Today I'm not speaking to you just as a pastor. Today I'm speaking to you as a father of five, as a husband, and as a man that, that grew up uh, in a broken home, divorced home. My dad remarried, wasn't around. I, I'd go to visit him on the weekends. I, I bounced around family member to family member. That's how I grew up. And, and because of that, I, I lacked some things. I didn't have an amazing dad impart some things to me. 
And because of it, all my life, I've had to fight some things. I've had to fight rejection. I've had, had to fight feeling like, I, am I worth anything? I had to fight insecurity. I had to fight fear, anxiety, all these things. Even, even just to get up here and preach to you, you have no idea what I've got to fight through. You don't even understand on a Saturday night that I'm on my knees and I've got the world telling me, man, you, you can't do this. You might just throw this message out. And everything in me coming against me, trying to get me to do to not do what I'm doing right here, and that is to take a stand. And I believe this is where the battle starts. See, too many of us, we're, 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 we got too comfortable sitting in the pews. We got too comfortable sitting on a couch. We got too comfortable playing video games and, and playing with animals and playing with toys and playing with fire and playing with lust and playing with money and playing church and playing the man. And I believe that it, God is saying it's time to take a stand and to stop playing around. We're way too passive spiritually. That we've gotten way too comfortable as men just collecting a paycheck, going home, sitting on the couch, turning on the TV, cracking a beer, and calling it good. Having a good time on the weekend. That it's time that we take a stand. And so I love Jesus. I think Jesus is the model man. And sometimes I think, you know, when we think of Jesus, and I think we've, we've been, pastors have been guilty of this in the church, as portraying Jesus as this, you know, meek, mild, like loving Jesus, hair flowing, just so, always just so calm and nice, and oh, come to me and I'll stroke your hair and be nice. But listen, can I tell you something? You know, you got to be tough to carry a 300-pound cross almost 650 feet up a hill after you've been flogged and almost beaten to death. You got to be tough to take the nails. You got to be tough, even tougher, not only physically to take it, but then at the same time say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's a real man. That's the definition of a real man. And so we think of Jesus as this nice, just really, you know, guy who's just always encouraging and everything but I love his encouragement and here's what I like to say sometimes I've heard this before this isn't original sometimes you turn a cheek but sometimes it's time to turn a table sometimes you turn a cheek but sometimes it's time to turn a table and I believe as fathers as men the day and age the time that we're living in and one of the things that the Bible talks about is that we need to be in tune with what's happening, what, what God is doing, and what's happening in our culture. Even Jesus, he, he rebuked the Pharisees. He said, how is it that you can tell the weather and all these things, but you don't understand the things of God? And, and there were sons of God that understood the seasons and the times. And, and what I want to encourage us with this morning is that we have to understand the season and time that we're living in, and that it is not time to shrink back, that it is time to take a stand. We need to take a stand. Now, let me give you this picture of this epic battle. Now, on two hills, there's this valley called the Valley of Elam. And on two hills, you have one on one side, you have all the Philistines. And on the other side, you have the children of God, Israel, the nation of Israel. And every single day, this Philistine giant, this enemy, would come out and he would taunt the armies of Israel. And in fact, in 1 Samuel 17, 16, it says this. It says, For 40 days, 
the Philistine came forward every morning and every evening and took his stand. Every morning and every night, he would come and he would stand against the armies of Israel. Paul is reminding us this morning that if you're going to become the masterpiece that God is making you into, the greatest thing that the enemy will do will oppose what God is trying to do in your life. And if you're going to become that person that God has made you to be, the first thing that you're going to have to do is you're going to have to stand up against it because he's standing in opposition against you. The giant, the enemy, every single morning, I think this is so significant, that he would come out every morning and every evening. And it was funny because when David eventually goes out to fight this giant, and now I know this story is so used in church and it's so familiar. I think sometimes because it's so familiar, we can miss out on some of the spiritual significance to it. And we all could say, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, giant, I get giant in my but, but here's the reality. I believe every single one of us have an enemy, a giant, something that is dark, something that is big, something that has a, a taunts us every single day when we get up in the morning and before we go to bed at night. Do you remember, you remember when we were kids? You remember that saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but what? Words, that is a lie, Stephen. I think the liar gave us that little fairy tale rhyme. Because the reality is, is even though we're trying to be tough, and as men, we try, to, we try to put up a front. We come to church, we go to the workplace, we go to the gym, and, and we want to portray that, that we've got it together, that we're stronger than we really are. But the reality is, is each one of us, there's something that is in the way between what God wants to do in your life, the person that he's called you to be, and, and unless we take a stand against it, Unless we take a stand. Now, the significance of, the, of him coming out morning and evening taunting him with words. This is why I called the message sticks and stones. A stick and a stone. Because David defeated Goliath with a stick and a stone. When David went out, Goliath laughed at him. He laughed at him. He said, you send a boy out to fight me? And he said, you, send, you come out here with a stick what am I, a dog? That you come at me with sticks? Now I always wonder, what did he mean by that? What's the deal with the sticks? Do you know what it was, David? If you could hand that to me. It wasn't a stick. It was a staff. See, David was a shepherd. And David had just came in from tending to his father's sheep. And the significance of the staff was a reminder that even though I walked through the valley of the shadow of death, the valley of the shadow of death. David knew something about walking into the valley of the shadow of death. I don't have to fear any evil. Why? You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And so as David walked at Goliath, he came at him with a staff, a staff reminding him that I've got not only a, a stone that he picked up out of the stream, five smooth stones that he only needed one to defeat the giant. He reminded himself that not only is God with me, that he's protecting me. That, that he's given me the breastplate of righteousness. 
that I've got the belt of truth around my waist, that I've, I'm fitted with some shoes that are ready with the gospel of peace, that I don't have to sit back anymore. I could run at the devil. And not only that, I've got, and I'm putting on the helmet of salvation that is covering my head, and all that, I've got the shield of faith, all that in the staff, all this is protecting me. It's reminding me that I've got a good shepherd, and he's given me everything that I need to protect myself and those he's put in my care. But he didn't just go at him with a stick. He came at him with a stone. He came at him with a stone. And this is what I want to I impart to you so bad this morning. That too many of us, we're just trying to protect ourselves. We're trying not to sin. We're trying not to do this. We're trying not to do that. And every day when you get up, this is what happens. Because I know the enemy will jump on you and get in your ear. And he will start reminding you all the things that you're not you're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You're not strong enough. You'll never be a good dad. You'll never be able to, you'll never de defeat that sin in your life. See, the other day, you fell into it again. You're never going to become that man of God that he's called you to be. You're not going to become the masterpiece that God has. And he just reminds you, my Bible says that he's the accuser of the brethren. And so his schemes, because Paul said, remember, he said, take your stand against the devil's schemes. There's a scheme. There's a weapon that he's formed exactly geared towards you and your weakness. Now, I don't know what your scheme, what his scheme is against you. I know what his schemes are against me. But what's his, what's his plan for your life? What is the weapon that he uses against you? All of us have them. He's got a scheme that he uses against you. When you look at it like, there's a pattern, right? There's a pattern of words. There's things that he reminds you of. There's accusations he slings at you and hurls at you morning and night so that when you start your day, you're already starting from a place of weakness. You've already been defeated. You beat down. I think one of the worst things that happens to men, when I speak to men, men these days, they're so beaten down. They're reminded of how much they're, they're, they're unvalued, they're unloved, they're, un, they're rejected, and they can't do it. I'll never be able to leave my family. I'll never be that, that husband that you preached on last week, Pastor. I, I've tried. I can't do it. And so the enemy comes down morning and beats you. And then when you put your head on the pillow at night, he comes back and beats you some more so that you go to bed thinking, and he reminds you, what did you get done today? What did you do? Man, you didn't do anything. You're not being the father I called you to be. You're not being the man I, I made you to be. Look what you did today. Do you see his scheme? He comes at you in the morning and at the night every day. And it says in verse 23, as he was talking with them, Goliath and the Philistine champion from Gath. Gath. Do you know what Gath was? Gath was the city that, that when the Israelites were wandering in the desert and God said, I've got a promised land for you. And the promised land represented the promises of God on your life and my life even today. And they sent 10 spies into the land. 10 of them came back. Eight of them came back and said, it's too hard. We'll never be able to take the land. There's giants in the land. There's thorns in the land. But then there was one, his name, there was two, but one, his name was Caleb, the other Joshua. And it, the Bible says, but Caleb had a different spirit. 
There was a different spirit about him. He wasn't afraid. He said, if God is for us, nobody can stop us. I know that if God is with us, he's going to give us the good land. He, others saw giants. He saw the promised land. You got to stop looking at the things that are in front of you and start looking at how big your God is. Because my God is bigger than anything that you're facing right now. And he stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance. And David heard it. And something in David said, I can't take this anymore. And he was willing to stand up. But look at it in verse 24. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all did what? They fled in fear. And so this is what I think is happening to us. I think we have learned to work around our giants. We've learned to work around our enemy. We learned to accommodate it into our life. And instead of standing up against it, we're just working around him. I don't know what it is in your life. Maybe it's addiction. Maybe it's a private sin. Maybe it's an identity issue. I don't know what it is for you. I know what the schemes are for me. But I can tell you this. I believe that there are four things that for all of us, the enemy will try to attack against you. The first one is this. He will attack you against your identity. This is the core of who you are. He will attack you at your very core because he knows that if he could get you to believe that you are not who God says you are, that you will adopt a false sense of self. You will live in your true self and your true identity. Actually, and this is a problem for a lot of us men. Because we don't know who we are, um, we have adopted a false sense of self. In other words, we find our identity in things that don't really matter. It was sad to me. I was reading a Barna. Barna is a Christian research company, and I, I got a state of manhood. And they did these statistics and research on the state of manhood in America. And men that were not actively engaged in following their faith, do you know what the greatest area that they found their identity was in? Their hobbies. What I play around with. I, I hit a golf ball around and now I'm a golfer. I go take down an eight-point buck and I'm a hunter. And that's what I start to identify with. It was sad to me. I remember when um, my brother-in-law had passed away and we were at his memorial and we were sitting there and I was looking around during the service and on these little boxes that you put the ashes in, there was like a fish for fishing, a mask for acting. Um, there was like a football or somebody's football, favorite football team. And I remember thinking to myself, how sad is it that that's what you want your life to be remembered by? That's what you identify with? And yet as men, if we don't know who we are, we won't know what we're called to. And that's the second thing that the enemy will come against you with. He will come at you against your purpose. When, it, when I think about a David, when David showed up on the battle scene, the very first thing he went to his brothers to ask them what's going on. And they already attacked his identity. What are you doing here? I know what you're up to. I know what you're thinking. 
Uh, you just wanted to see the battle. They were questioning his heart, his motives, his intentions, and questioning who he was. When he went to King Saul and said, I'll go to fight him, you know what King Saul said to him? He said, he's a champion, and you're just a young boy. You can't fight him. And this is so much what the enemy does to come against us. Who do you think you are? You'll never become the man of God that I've called you. You'll never become that masterpiece. But David knew not only who he was, he understood he had a purpose. And we have to understand that too, that first we're called to follow Jesus with all we are. Secondly, we're, we're called to lead our family spiritually. Like we heard last week when we're submitted to God, that, that we're, we're called to lead our wives and our children. And this is, the struggle is real. I get it. Man, my kid is coming home from seventh grade and telling me some of the things that he's seeing and hearing and going through. And I'm, as a dad, I'm like overwhelmed. I don't even know how to help him. And man, I need Jesus more and more. And yet, I've got this calling to be a dad, and I'm trying to figure out, and I didn't have a dad in my life day to day, and I just, it, and I just need Jesus even more, and I need the Holy Spirit to help me. But David understood that he had a greater purpose. He had a greater calling. I think one of the greatest problems with men today is that we're bored. We're bored because we haven't realized that you were actually created and made intrinsically God put something in the heart of man that he put you in a garden and gave you responsibility, gave you creativity, gave you a warrior heart. And if you're not engaged in a purpose greater than yourself, you'll find what I call a shadow mission. David knew he had a mission. He had a purpose. Too many of us are living in a shadow mission. What's a shadow mission, Pastor Lance? If you don't find your true purpose in life, you'll find something to give your life to that won't matter. So you'll spend your life hunting, fishing. Now, listen, there's nothing wrong with that. I do it. I enjoy it. So I'm not anti having a good time, going out, you know, fishing, hunting, doing fun things. But the challenge comes in when we don't have a true purpose to live in, we will live in a shadow mission and give our whole life to that. And our whole life will consist of going to work Monday through Friday, punching your clock, and coming home, sitting on the couch, cracking a beer, watching some shows, getting up on the weekend, going fishing, going camping, and all the while, your true purpose and calling is waiting for you to take a stand. The third thing is it will come against your family. He's coming against your family. And if we're not prepared for it, he will take out your, man, there's so many times where I realize I need to pray for my wife I need to pray for my kids. I need to stand in the place of authority that God gave me as a husband, as a father. But there's so many times I don't do it. I feel so overwhelmed. I don't know how to do it. I remember when I was a young dad, and there were times where I just, I just melted under the pressure to provide for my family, not only physically, um, but to provide for my family spiritually. And what happens, guys, is when, when we feel like we're doing something that we're failing in, we disengage from it, don't we? Because we don't like to fail. In fact, one of our greatest fears is the fear of failure, that if I'm going to try this, if I'm going to step out, and, and this is why, ladies, you have to understand that as a wife, 
I know your husband may be not doing perfectly, but if he does it at all, you got to stand there and you got to be an encouragement to him because it takes a lot to step out. Especially when they didn't have a, a, ma uh, a male role model or a father figure to show them. And you need to encourage and pray for your husband. Don't tell him, well, this one does this and look at, look at how he loves his wife and look at how this one's being a good dad. That is the worst thing he could do. Men will crumple and they'll say, I can't do this. And so many times when I felt overwhelmed, I just disengaged. You know, one of the greatest things, wives, that you can do for your husband is just say, I believe in you. Because the fourth thing is the enemy will come against your confidence. He's coming against your confidence. I'll tell you, a while back ago, my wife and I were in a, a meeting, and I was leading that meeting, and it was really hard. I mean, it was painful stuff that we were working through with, with somebody. And after the meeting was over, and they left, I felt drained. I felt like, man, I failed. I did not do a good job there. She came up to me, grabbed me by my face, looked me in the eye, and she said, you are amazing. She's like, you handled that so well with such grace and leadership. And, and I, everything in me just was holding back tears. I was on cloud nine for two weeks. I felt like, I felt like the man because my woman spoke life into me, encouraged me, and it gave me confidence. And I'm telling you, if you want to see your men, stop coming at them, start praying for them, start speaking life over them and into them, and, and that will give them confidence to lead. You got to have confidence because that's what the enemy's coming against. But I don't mean just confidence like bravado, like I'm self-talking, like go to the gym, work out, get pumped up, listen to some Stephen Furtick messages, and I'm all fired up. I can do this. And, and you know, try to get excited for it. I'm talking about a, there's a holy confidence that God wants to put in you that, that isn't dependent upon outside influences and messages and all those things. As much as I want to encourage you today, the one thing that I want to encourage you in is you got to get a holy confidence. And that is only found in the secret place between you and God. But none of that starts unless you take a stand and face what's facing you. And too many of us, we're running away, working around, accommodating the things in our life. And let me tell you, you've got to face it, fellas. Until you say, enough is enough, you've got to get a little Popeye in you. I've had all I could stands, and I can't stands no more. Come on, you've got to get some Popeye in you. Sometimes it's time to turn a cheek. Sometimes it's time to turn a table. And you got to know when it's time to take a stand. And so, so some of you say, you, you're done with this addiction. You're done being this way. I'm tired with the sin in my life. I'm standing against it. I'm standing up opposing it, and I'm tired of it. And the, that's going to lead you to the next step. And that is you got to get in the fight. It's not enough to just take a stand. You've actually got to attack what's attacking you. That's what this stone represents. That's why, dads, as you're leaving today, as a reminder, we're going to give you a little token, and it's a smooth stone. So you take this, you put it on your car, you put it in your, I don't know where you, I don't know where guys keep things like that. I see my wife, she does all that stuff, you know. I don't know where, I keep it in my pocket. In fact, in my office, I got five smooth stones. That's where I got this one. As a reminder to myself that I'm not just called to stand ground, but I'm called to take ground. But here's the problem. We sing songs like the battle belongs to the Lord 
And so we could get this idea in church that we don't need to do anything, that God is fighting for us, that we just got to stand back and watch God. And so instead of engaging in the battle, we're sitting in the pew. Instead of engaging in the battle, we're sitting on the couch. Instead of engaging in the battle, we're playing around with other things. So here's what I want to remind you this morning. God will fight for you, but you got to get in the fight. God will fight for you, but you got to get in the fight. It's not enough to just take a stand. I love that David ran towards the enemy. I love this verse in Nehemiah. It's a good reminder to you and me of what we're fighting for. And listen, until you start fighting for what matters most, you'll fall for anything that doesn't matter. Nehemiah said this, when I saw their fear, looking at the people that knew there was an enemy that was trying to take them out, trying to take their families, trying to take their wives, trying to take everything, their homeland, trying to take their God away from me. He said, when I saw their fear, I stood and said to the nobles, officials, and the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them confidently. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Come on, are you forgetting that Paul reminded us already that God is in control? That the same resurrection life and power that rose Jesus from the grave is alive in you? That we serve a God that is great and awesome and that he is bigger than anything you could ask, think, or imagine? He's able. I'm not able, but he's able. He's able to do it. He's able to win the battle, but I got to get in the fight. Because I'm fighting for something that's important. I'm not just fighting for myself. I'm fighting for my wife. I'm fighting for my kids. I'm fighting for a generation. He says, and with the courage from him, fight for your brothers. Fight for your sons. Fight for your daughters, your wives, and for your homes. I love this. I love this quote. It says this, we fight what is in front of us so that we might protect what is behind us. We fight what is in front of us so we might protect what is behind us. And there is so much behind us. We think too much in the present. We think too much in the here and now. God thinks inside of eternity. When I read my Bible, God is a generational God. They were sowing into generations. In fact, in, in the Hall of Fame of Faith in Hebrews... It talks about people who believed in the promises of God, pressed into them, fought for them, stood their ground, and they didn't even see the promises in their generation, but they understood this, that we have to understand, that they weren't just fighting for what they could see and what they could experience, that they were actually fighting for generations to come. Unless we start standing up and getting in the fight, there are generations that are in trouble. Let me tell you, when I look out at the generation today, I'm scared. I'm scared of what my kids are walking into. We got to take a stand and we got to get in the fight. Look at in 1 Samuel 17, 48, picking up the story. As the Philistines moved closer to attack David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. You got to understand that when the enemy's coming at you, you got to make a beeline for the enemy. You're not just waiting for him to attack you, but I'm going to take him out. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone. He slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank in his forehead, and he fell 
face down to the ground with a stick and a stone. And when we realize that we're not just standing on ground, that we're, we're called to take ground. Do you know that, that Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And we, we listen to that and we think we're just, we're the church and we're standing our ground. We're not letting the gates of hell. No, 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 you don't understand that verse. That verse isn't saying we're on the defensive. That verse is saying that Jesus is advancing the kingdom. He's building his church. People are coming to faith in Christ. Those who are hopeless are getting their hope found in Jesus. Addiction's being broken off. Anxiety is being broken off. Depression is gone in Jesus' name. People are getting healed. They're getting set free. The kingdom is advancing. We're not called to just stand our ground. We're called to storm the gates of hell. I got a stone in my pocket and a staff in my hand. I know God is protecting me. It gives me the confidence to run after him. That's the third point, is that I need to stand and get in the battle with a holy confidence. Do you know where David got his confidence from? He got his confidence from his history with God. I like to say it like this. History with God builds confidence in God. And this is the problem for a lot of us men. Because we're not winning private battles, we're not winning public ones. And when it's all on the line, we don't have the confidence to take down the enemies in our life that are attacking our family, attacking our kids, and attacking our friends. I don't have the faith. I don't have the confidence. When I talk to men today, this is one of the greatest weapons the enemy uses to keep you down. You don't have confidence, in, and here's the problem. You're trying to find your confidence in all the wrong things. I got a big bank account. I got a big house. I got a big boat. I got a big buck. I got big muscles. I got confidence. I could take down a big jug of beer. I don't know. We got root beer out there. Chug that. Got me fired up for this message. That and a maple bacon donut. Come on, and beef jerky. It's all I need, baby. I'm good. David had a holy confidence. This wasn't, a, listen to what he said. David said to the Philistine, you come at me against me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin. But I come against you in the name of the Lord God Almighty, who the armies of Israel, whom you've defied, and this day, I believe it right now, this day, some of you, there's some, some giant, there's some enemy, that this day, it needs to be the day that you say, no more. I'm taking a stand, I'm not doing it. This is the day, this day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands. But you gotta let go what's in your pockets. You got to throw the stone. This day, when you let go of what God has put in your hand, he will deliver your enemy into your hand. When you let go of what God, some of you, that means you need to let go of some tithe checks. Some of you, that means you need to let go of your false self. Some of you, that means you need to let go of your shadow mission. Some of you need to let go of words that the enemy has used to get his boot on your neck and keep you down. And today's the day that you need to take a stand and you need to get in the fight and you need to sling a stone. I'm not going down without a fight. This is the day. 
God will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down. Oh, man, this is some good macho Gideon's 300, 300 stuff right here. Arnold Schwarzenegger, come on, somebody. I will strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give you the carcass of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world. This is why the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those, check this out, all those gathered here will know the world is watching and they need to see some godly men that are taking down some giants, walking in integrity, walking in the character of Christ, walking in purity, leading their families, being fathers, being active in their church, giving their all to God, being submitted to him, and not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because that's the power that we're missing. So everybody here knows it is not by sword, not by the spear, not by any of those things that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. So do it. The holy confidence. So here's the deal. Guys, in order to get this holy confidence, it only comes from one place. It's the secret place. David had the confidence because of the his, his history with God. Because when Saul said to him, no, 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 you can't win this battle. You're too young. You're too inexperienced. He didn't say, no, no man, I could bench 400 pounds. No. He said, the Lord delivered the lion and the bear into my hands, and I could take down this giant because I've got a history. I don't know how many people are in here today, but you have a history with God. That, that you, you prayed for something, man, I could tell you there were so many times in my life where I've, I've had my back up against the wall and it forced me to my knees. And because I, it forced me to my knees, I had to believe in faith and I had to trust in the Lord with, with all my heart that God could deliver me. And when I showed him, when he showed up and he delivered me, it gave me confidence and it built my faith because he did it before, he could do it again. And if you don't win the private battle, you'll never be able to win the public battle you got to win it in private, and this is my last thing, and I'm done. You get that confidence not from yourself, but in the strength of the Lord. Paul reminded us flat out, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. It's not by strength nor by power, says the Lord. Come on. But by my spirit. See, this is the part that we've got to get. I can't win this battle in my own strength. I've tried. I've failed too many times. I don't draw my strength from anywhere else but the very Spirit of God. And this is where Paul closes out. He says, and pray in the Spirit always. Men, you want to be strong? Pray in the Spirit. God's given you a prayer language. Use it. Tap into it. Paul says that, it, that our prayer language, our personal prayer language, not the gift of tongues, but our personal prayer language is for our own edification and strengthening. And there's sometimes I don't even know what to pray, but I hit my knees and, and there's groans. There's things that my spirit prays out of me that I don't even know what I'm praying or what I need, but there's something I know happening in my spirit that is building up strength. When Paul says pray upon, there's one translation say pray upon prayers. It's like as I pray, I'm praying prayers on top of prayers and I'm stacking strength. 
Strength is getting stacked onto me as I keep praying and praying and seeking God and waiting on him. That's why in Isaiah 40, 31, it says this, but those who wait upon the Lord, I'm not rushing into the battle without my strength. I need to be prayed up, full of the Holy Spirit, having a holy confidence that I could run into the battle and take my stand, not because I'm strong enough, but because he's strong enough, because his spirit is strong in me. I got the same spirit that rose Jesus from the grave living inside of me. But those who wait upon the Lord, who expect, look for, hope in him, this is proactive, it's not just I'm waiting, I am praying, I am seeking, I'm pressing in, I am going after God, I'm pursuing him, and who expect, look for, hope in him, will gain new strength, and will renew their power, and God will lift you up on eagles' wings, and rise up close to God, like eagles, rising towards the sun, and they will run and not grow weary, and they will walk and not grow tired. And there's some of you in this room, you're tired. You guys can dim the lights. You're tired of fighting this battle on your own. Come on, you turn these lights down. It's time to just surrender to God. Do you know what the last thing that David did and maybe the most significant? He didn't just win by slinging a stone. The Bible says that he went and stood over the giant and he took his own sword and he cut off his head. I've always wondered why did he have to do that? And God told me dead heads still talk. And even though there may be things in your past that those things still want to come back to haunt you and to remind you of who you're not and what you did, and today's the day that you got to take the head off that thing. You got to say no more. Today's the day I'm taking the head off. I love the fact that he took it off with his own sword. It reminds me that no weapon formed against you will prosper. That what the enemy has tried to take you out God will put it in your hand to use his strength to take out the enemy. So as we close right now, I just want to pray for you.